You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a compilation of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled The Festivals and Their Meaning. This is lecture 22 in the entire series. It is the sixth and last lecture in the section Ascension and Pentecost, which will be followed by a Whitsun verse. It was given in Dornach on the 4th of June, 1924, entitled The Whitsun Festival, Its Place in the Study of Karma. When we consider how karma works, we always have to bear in mind that the human ego, which is our essential and inmost being, has, as it were, three instruments through which it is able to live and express itself in the world. These are the physical body, the etheric body, and the astral body. We carry the physical, etheric, and astral bodies with us through the world, but we ourselves are not these bodies. Our true being lies in the ego, and it is the ego which both suffers karma and creates it. Now it is important to gain an understanding of the relationship between our ego being and what I would call these three instrumental forms, the physical, etheric, and astral bodies. This will give us the foundation for understanding the essence of karma. We will be able to find a point of reference for our study of the relationship between karma and man's physical, etheric, and astral bodies if we consider the following. The physical as we behold it in the mineral kingdom, the etheric as we find it working in the plant kingdom, and the astral as we find it working in the animal kingdom are all present in man's environment here on earth. In the cosmos surrounding the earth, we have that universe into which, if I may so describe it, the earth extends on all sides. We can feel a certain relationship between what takes place on earth and what takes place in the cosmic environment. But spiritual science must ask whether this relationship is really so commonplace as the modern scientific conception of the world imagines. Modern science examines the physical qualities of everything on the earth, living and lifeless. It also investigates the stars, the sun, the moon, etc. And it discovers, indeed it is particularly proud of the discovery, that these heavenly bodies are fundamentally of the same nature as the earth. Such a conception can only result from a form of knowledge which wholly fails to understand the real nature of the human being which is capable only of grasping what is external to man. But the moment we really understand the human being's inner connection with the universe, we can discover the relationship between the different instrumental forms, in quotes, of our nature, physical, etheric, and astral bodies, and the corresponding entities, the corresponding realities of being in the cosmos. Our etheric body corresponds to the universal ether present everywhere in the cosmos. It has a definite human shape, definite forms of movement, which it is true are different in the cosmic ether, yet both share the same fundamental nature. 
In the same way we can speak of a similarity between what is found in the human astral body and a certain astral principle that works in all things and all beings throughout the far reaches of the cosmos. Here we come to something of extraordinary importance, something whose true nature is quite foreign to the human being of today. Let us sketch it out like this. A drawing is made on the blackboard. We have first the earth, upon which is man with his etheric body. Then around the earth we have the cosmic ether, which is of the same nature as the etheric in man. The human being also has an astral body. In the cosmic environment, too, there is astrality. But where are we to find it? Where is it? It can be found, but we must first discover what it is in the cosmos that betrays its presence, that reveals it. Somewhere or other this astrality is present in the cosmos. But it is quite invisible and imperceptible. Or is it, after all, in some way perceptible to us? Let us return for a moment to the ether, which is in itself, of course, imperceptible to our physical senses. If you were to look, so to speak, at a small area of ether, you would see nothing with your physical senses. You would simply see through it. The ether seems invisible or non-existent. But when you regard the whole etheric environment, you behold the blue sky, which is also not really there. Yet it appears blue because you are actually perceiving the end of the ether. You behold the ether as the blue of the heavens. When we see the blue sky, we are in fact really perceiving the ether around us. To our immediate vision, the ether remains imperceptible, yet it allows itself to become visible in the blue heavens. The right way for us to express our perception of the blue sky is to say, quote, We cannot see the ether, but it rises before our vision, becomes perceptible through the greatness and majesty with which it spreads out through the universe, revealing itself in the heaven's blue expanse. Close quote. Physical science theorizes materialistically about the blue of the sky, and for physical science it is indeed very difficult to reach any intelligent conclusion on this point, for the simple reason that it is bound to admit that where we see the blue of the sky there is nothing physical. Nevertheless, people spin out the most elaborate theories to explain how the rays of light are reflected and refracted in a particular way so as to call forth this blue of the sky. In fact, the boundary of the supersensible world becomes visible here. This is where it begins to hold sway. The supersensible world can indeed be perceived in the cosmos, but we need to look for it, discover it. The ether, then, becomes perceptible to us through the blue of the sky. But somewhere there is also present the astral element of the cosmos. The ether shines through the blue sky, as it were, into the realms of sense. Where then does astrality in the cosmos shine through and become visible? The answer, my dear friends, is this. Every star that we see glittering in the heavens is in reality a gate of entry for the astral. Wherever the stars shine toward us, 
the astral also shines. Look at the starry heavens in their manifold variety. In one part the stars are gathered into heaps and clusters, or in another they are scattered far apart. In all this wonderful configuration of radiant light, the invisible and supersensible astral body of the cosmos makes itself visible to us. For this reason, we must not view the world of stars unspiritually. To look up to the starry heavens and speak of worlds of burning gases is, forgive the apparent absurdity of the comparison, but it is precise, just as though someone who loves you were gently stroking you, holding their fingers a little apart, and you were then to say that little ribbons were being drawn across your cheek. It is as untrue that little ribbons are being laid across your cheek when someone strokes you, as that there exist up there, in the heavens, those material entities of which modern physics tells. It is rather the astral body of the universe which is perpetually wielding its influences, like the gently stroking fingers, on the etheric organism of the cosmos. But this astral body is organized for very long duration, It is for this reason that a star has its quality of fixity, exerting an influence on the cosmic ether which lasts far longer than the stroking of your cheek. Such a prolonged stroking would be far too much for a human being. But in the cosmos things do last longer, for there we are dealing with enormous spans. In the starry heavens we perceive an expression of the soul life of the cosmic astral world. In this way, immense unfathomable life, which is also a soul life, a, a real and actual life of the soul, is brought into the cosmos. Think how dead the cosmos appears to us when we look out into the far depths of space and see nothing but the shining of burning gaseous bodies. Think how living it all becomes when we know that the stars are an expression of the love with which the astral cosmos works upon the etheric cosmos, for this is to express it with perfect truth. And now think of those mysterious occurrences when certain stars suddenly light up at particular times, occurrences that have only been explained to us by means of physical hypotheses that do not lead to any real understanding. Stars that were not there before light up for a time and disappear again. Thus, in the cosmos too there is, in quotes, stroking of a shorter duration. In epochs when divine beings desire to exert a stronger influence from the astral world into the etheric, we behold new stars light up and fade away again. Just as in our own astral body, we experience the most varied feelings of delight and comfort, so there exists in the cosmos, through the cosmic astral body, the varied configuration of the starry heavens. No wonder that an ancient, instinctively clairvoyant science described this third realm of our human organism as the astral or starry body, for it is of one nature with what works and reveals itself through the stars. It is only the ego that we do not find revealed in the cosmic environment. Why? We shall find the reason if we consider 
how this human ego manifests here on the earth in a world and cosmos that is in reality threefold, physical, etheric, and astral. This ego continues and exists through repeated earthly lives. Again and again it returns to the life between death and a new birth. But when we observe the ego in its existence after death, we perceive that the etheric world present in the cosmic environment of the earth has no significance for it. The etheric body is laid aside soon after death. It is only the astral world shining toward us through the stars that has significance for the ego in the life between death and a new birth. And in that world which shimmers to us in the stars live the beings of the higher hierarchies with whom we form our karma between death and a new birth. Indeed, when we follow this ego in its successive evolutions through lives between birth and death and between death and a new birth, we cannot remain within the world of space at all. Two successive earthly lives cannot, of course, be within the same space. They cannot be confined within a universe dependent on spatial coexistence. Here, therefore, we emerge from space into time. We actually leave the realm of space and enter the pure flow of time when we contemplate the ego in its successive earthly lives. But now consider this. In space, time is still present, of course, but within the world of space we have no means of experiencing time as such. We always have to experience time through space and spatial processes. For example, if you wish to experience time, you look at the clock or at the course of the sun. The clock is, after all, just an earthly reflection of the sun's motion. And what do you see? You see the various positions of the hands of the clock or of the sun. In other words, something that is spatial. Through the fact that the spatial positions of the hand or of the sun change, you gain some idea of time. But of time itself, there is really nothing in this spatial perception. There are only varied spatial configurations, varied positions of the hands of the clock, varied positions of the sun. You only experience time itself through the soul's experience. There you do really emerge from spatial orientation and experience time. There time becomes a reality which it is not within the earthly world of space. What then do we need to experience if we wish to leave the realm of space in which we live between birth and death and enter the absence of space in which we live between death and a new birth? What must we do? The answer, my dear friends, is that we must die. Please understand this in its exact and deep meaning. On earth we experience time only through space, through points in space, through the positions of spatial things. On earth we do not experience the reality of time at all. Once you grasp this, you will realize that to leave everything spatial behind and truly enter the realm of time is the same as dying. Let us now turn our eyes to this cosmic world that encircles the earth, this cosmic world to which we are akin both through our etheric body and also through our astral body. And let us look at the spiritual in this cosmic world. There have indeed been nations and human societies 
who have only had regard for the spiritual that is to be found within this spatial world. Such peoples become unable to develop any awareness of repeated earthly lives. Only those people and peoples who could conceive of time in its pure, unspatial essence were able to formulate thoughts about repeated lives on earth. But if we consider this earthly world together with its cosmic environment, or to put it briefly, all that we speak of as the cosmos, the universe, and if we behold the spiritual manifest in it, we can understand that it had to be present for us to enter into our existence as earthly human beings. It had to be there. Enormous depths are really contained in this simple conception that all I have just referred to had to exist so that we might enter our earthly life as earthly human beings. Very great depths are revealed when we grasp the spiritual aspect of this cosmos, when we imagine its spiritual nature as a self-contained sphere that is pure and complete within itself. We have a conception of what is called God by those peoples who limited their outlook to the world of space alone. These people felt, at least in their wisest teachings, that the cosmos is inwoven and imbued with a divine element which can be distinguished from the physical world of our earthly environment. Within this cosmic, divine, spiritual world, they also distinguished the etheric, which is revealed in the blue sky, and the astral, shining down upon us in the configuration of the starry heavens. Let us enter as fully as possible into our situation within the universe as human beings within a physical body and ask ourselves where in this universe the physical is to be found. I am now returning to something which I have already pointed out. The physical science of today expects to find everything which is on the earth existing also in the universe. But the physical as such is not to be found in the universe. The human being is embodied in the physical, then also in the etheric and the astral. The universe, on the other hand, begins with the etheric. Out there in the cosmos, the physical is nowhere to be found. It exists only on the earth. It is but empty fancy to speak of anything physical in the wider universe. In the universe, there is the etheric and the astral. There is also a third element, which we have yet to speak about in this present lecture. For the cosmos beyond the earth is also threefold, though in a different way from everything belonging to the earthly realm. We should let these feelings enter into our earthly consciousness. Then we can feel the physical nature of our immediate earthly dwelling place, the etheric nature working together between earth and universe, and the astral nature gleaming down to earth from the stars, and most intensely of all from the sun star. Let us consider all these things and place before our souls the majesty of this world conception. We can then well understand how the people of ancient times, who could, through instinctive clairvoyance, still feel the majesty and not really the abstract nature of thoughts, were able to say, quote, a thought so majestic as this 
cannot be continually grasped in all its fullness. We must take hold of it at one special time, allowing it to work on the soul in its full depth and glory. It will then work on within our being, without being spoilt and corrupted by our waking consciousness. Close quote. The instinctive clairvoyance of ancient times gave reality to this insight. And if we think about the way this occurred, we can realize that we still retain something of all that flowed together to bring it to life for humanity in our Christmas festival. On Christmas night we can, as we stand here upon the earth, picture to ourselves how we are related through our physical, etheric and astral bodies to the threefold cosmos. Its etheric nature, shining so majestically, appears to us in the magic wonder of the night, in the blue of the heavens. Its astral nature shines down out of the universe upon us in the glittering stars. Then we can feel in the holiness of this cosmic environment and in its relation to the earth that our true ego being has been placed into these spatial conditions. And then we may gaze upon the Christmas mystery, the newborn child, the representative of humanity on earth, who, inasmuch as he is entering into childhood, is born into this spatial world. In the fullness and majesty of this Christmas thought, as we gaze on the child that is born on Christmas night, we can say, Ex Deo Nasimur, I am born out of the divine, the divine that weaves and surges through the world of space. When we have felt this, when we have inwardly permeated ourselves with it, then we may also recall what anthroposophy has revealed to us about the meaning of the earth. The child on whom we are gazing is the outer sheath of one who is born into space. He is brought to birth in the world of space. But from what realm? It can only be from time. From the realm of time the child is born. If we then follow the life of this child and his permeation by the spirit of the Christ being, we come to realize that this being, this Christ being, comes from the sun. Then we shall look up to the sun and say to ourselves, quote, As I look up to the sun, I must behold in the sunshine the realm of time, which is hidden to the world of space. Within the sun is time, and from the realm of time that weaves within the sun, Christ came forth into space, came to the earth. Close quote. In Christ on earth, therefore, we have one who comes from beyond space, who unites with the earth from a realm beyond. I want you to realize how our conception of the universe transforms itself from the usual one when we really enter into all that has come before our souls this evening. There in the universe we have the sun, with all that appears to us in connection with it, the blue of the heavens, the world of the stars. The earth with humanity is also part of the picture. But when we look up from the earth to the sun, we are at the same time looking into the flow of time. Now from this there follows something of great significance. We only look up to the sun in the right way, even if only in our mind, when we forget space and consider time alone. The sun does not only radiate light, 
it radiates space itself. And when we look upon the sun, we are looking into a realm beyond space. The sun is the unique star that it is because we gaze through it into a world beyond space. And from that world, Christ came to humanity. At the time when Christianity was founded by Christ on earth, man had already been far too long confined to the mere ex Deo Nasimor. He had become altogether bound up in it and had lost the realm of time. He had become a being who dwelt only in space. The reason why it is so hard for us to understand the traditions of older epochs when we go back to them with the consciousness of present-day civilization is that they were restricted to the world of space and considered time only in spatial terms. But then Christ came and once more brought the element of time to humanity. And when the human heart, the human soul, the human spirit unite themselves with Christ, then we can again receive the stream of time that flows through all eternity. What else can we human beings do when we die? When, in other words, we leave the world of space, then hold fast to Him who gives time back to us again? By the time of the mystery of Golgotha, man had become to so great an extent a being of space that time was lost to him. Christ gave time back again to human beings. If then, in going forth from the world of space, people are not to die in their souls as well as in their bodies, they must die in Christ. We can dwell within space and still say ex Deo Nasimur, and we can look to the child who comes forth from time into space to unite Christ with humanity. But since the mystery of Golgotha, we cannot conceive of death, the boundary of our earthly life, without this thought. We must die in Christ. Otherwise we shall pay for our loss of the realm of time with the loss of Christ Himself, and banished from Him remain spellbound and imprisoned in space. We must fill ourselves with the mystery of Golgotha. In addition to the ex Deo Nasimur, we must find the in Christo Morimur. To the Christmas thought of ex Deo Nasimur must be added the Easter thought of in Christo Morimur. Let us sum up. On the earth man has his three bodies, the physical, the etheric, and the astral. The etheric and astral are also out there in the cosmos, but the physical is only to be found on earth. Out in the cosmos there is no physical nature. Yet the cosmos too is threefold, for what it lacks at the lowest level it adds above. In the cosmos the etheric is the lowest, on the earth the physical is the lowest. On earth the astral is the highest. In the cosmos the highest is that of which man today has only the rudimentary beginnings, from which his spirit self will one day be woven. We may therefore say, in the cosmos there is a third and highest element, the spirit-selfhood. Now we see the stars as expressions of something real. I compared this action to a gentle stroking. It is the spirit-selfhood behind them that lovingly strokes. Only in this case it is not a single being, but the whole world of the hierarchies. When I gaze upon a person and see his form, 
when I look at his eyes and see them shining toward me, when I hear his voice, it is the utterance of this human being. In the same way, when I gaze up into the far reaches of the universe and look upon the stars, they are the living utterance of the hierarchies, kindling astral feeling. When I gaze into the blue depths of the firmament, I perceive in it the outward revelation of the etheric body, which is the lowest member of the whole world of the hierarchies. We may then, as we look out into the cosmos, become aware that it extends beyond earthly reality, even as the earth with its physical substances and forces descends beneath cosmic reality. The physical nature of earth is sub-cosmic. The spirit-selfhood of the cosmos is super-earthly. Physical science speaks of the movement of the sun, and it can do so, for within the spatial picture of the cosmos which surrounds us, we perceive by certain phenomena that the sun is in movement. But this is in fact only a reflection of the sun's movement projected into the realm of space. If we are speaking of the real sun, it is nonsense to say that it moves in space, for space itself is poured out by the sun. The sun not only radiates light, it also creates the realm of space. And the movement of the sun is only a spatial one within space. Outside of space, it is a movement in time. It seems to us that the sun is speeding on toward the constellation of Hercules, but this is in fact only a spatial reflection of the sun being's temporal evolution. To his intimate disciples, Christ spoke these words, quote, Behold the life of the earth. It is related to the life of the cosmos. When you look out on the earth and the surrounding cosmos, it is the Father whose life permeates this universe. The Father God is the God of space. But I make known to you that I have come to you from the sun, from time, time that receives man only when he dies. I have brought you myself from the realm of time. If you receive me, you receive time, and you will not be held spellbound in space. But you must also find the transition from the one trinity, physical, etheric, and astral, to the other trinity, which leads from the etheric and astral to spirit-selfhood. Spirit-selfhood is not to be found in the earthly world, just as the earthly physical is not to be found in the cosmos. But I bring you the message of it, for I am from the sun. Footnote Paul quote, God that made the world and all things therein, being Lord of heaven and earth, giveth to all life and breath and all things, and is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Acts seventeen, chapter seventeen, verses twenty four to twenty eight. End of footnote. The sun has indeed a threefold aspect. If one lives within the sun and looks down from it to the earth, one beholds the physical, etheric, and astral. One may also gaze on what is within the sun itself. Then spirit-selfhood is constantly in view. One can still see the physical so long as one remembers the earth or gazes down toward it. But looking away from the earth, one beholds spirit-selfhood.
Thus one swings backward and forward between the physical and the spirit self. Only the etheric and astral in between are constant. As you look out into the great universe, earthly nature vanishes away, and you have the etheric, the astral, and spirit selfhood. This is what you will behold when you enter the realm of time, of the sun, between death and a new birth. Let us now imagine a human soul who shuts himself up entirely within earthly existence. He can still feel the divine, for out of the divine he is born, ex Deo Nasimor. Then, let us imagine that he no longer merely encloses himself within the world of space, but receives the Christ who came from the world of time into the world of space, who brought time itself into the realm of earthly space. The soul will then at death overcome death, ex deonasimur in Christo morimur. But Christ himself brings the message that when space is overcome and one has learned to recognize the sun as the creator of space, when one feels oneself placed through Christ into the sun, lifted into the living sun, then the earthly and physical vanishes and only the etheric and the astral are there. Then the etheric comes to life not as the blue of the sky, but as the lilac, red, gleaming radiance of the cosmos. And from this reddish light the stars no longer twinkle down upon us, but gently touch us with their loving influence. If a human being really enters into all this, he can experience himself standing upon the earth, the physical put aside, but the etheric still with him, streaming through and out of him in the lilac reddish light. The stars are then no longer points of light, but radiations of love like a caressing hand of a human being. As we feel all this, the divine within ourselves, the divine cosmic fire flaming forth from within us as our very being, ourselves within the etheric world, the Spirit's living expression in the astral radiance pouring through the cosmos. Then there comes to life within us the inner experience of Spirit radiance, which is man's high calling in the universe. When those to whom Christ revealed these things had let the revelation sink deeply enough into their being, its effect became manifest for them in the fiery tongues of Pentecost, at first, they experienced the falling away, the discarding of the earthly physical as death. But then they felt, quote, this is not death. In place of the physical nature of the earth, there now dawns upon us instead the spirit selfhood of the universe, per spiritum sanctum revivissimus, close quote. Thus may we regard the threefold nature of the one half of the year. We have the Christmas thought, ex Deo Nasimur, the Easter thought, in Christo Morimor, and the Whitsun thought, per spiritum sanctum revivissimus. There remains the other half of the year. If we understand that, too, it sheds light on the other aspect of our human life. If we understand the relationship of our physical nature to our soul and also our spiritual nature, which bears within itself the freedom that as human beings on earth we will be able to make our own then, in the interconnection of the Christmas, Easter, and Whitsun festivals, 
we understand the nature of human freedom on earth. As we understand the free human being through these three thoughts, the Christmas thought, the Easter thought, and the Whitsun thought, and as we let this kindle in us the desire to understand the remaining portions of the year, there appears in our field of vision the other half of human life, which I indicated when I said, quote, gaze upon human destiny, the hierarchies appear behind it, the working and weaving of the hierarchies, close quote. It is wonderful to look truly into the destiny of a human being, for behind it stands the whole world of the hierarchies. The language of the stars speaks to us through the thoughts of Christmas, Easter, and Whitsuntide, through the Christmas thought, inasmuch as the earth is a star within the universe, through the Easter thought, inasmuch as the most radiant of stars, the sun, gives us its gifts of grace, and through the Whitsun thought, inasmuch as what lies hidden beyond the stars shines into the soul and shines forth again from the soul in the fiery tongues of Pentecost. Enter into all this, my dear friends. I have told you of the Father who bears the Christmas thought, but who also sends the Son so that the Easter thought may be fulfilled. I have told you further how the Son brings the message of the Spirit, so that in the thought of Whitsun, man's life on earth may be fulfilled in its threefold being. Meditate upon this thoroughly, ponder it well then all the descriptions I have given you as a basis for understanding will be underpinned by your own feelings. Try to let the Christmas, Easter and Whitsun thoughts, in the way I have expressed them to you today, work deeply and truly into your human feeling. Try this. Try to deepen your feeling for these things. And when we meet again after the journey I have to make this Whitsun because of the agricultural course, then bring this feeling with you, for it should live on in you as the warm and fiery thought of Pentecost. Then we shall be able to go further in our study of karma. Your power of understanding will be deepened and enriched by what the Whitsun thought contains. Just as once upon a time at the first Whitsun festival something shone forth from each of the disciples, so the thought of Pentecost should now become alive again for our anthroposophical understanding. Something must light up and shine forth from your souls. It is for this reason that I spoke today with a Whitsun feeling of the inner connections of Christmas, Easter and Whitsun and leave this feeling with you now as a basis for our further studies of karma in the second half of the year. That is the end of Lecture 22. I will con continue now with the Whitsun verse by Rudolf Steiner. I'm going to uh, read the English, then the German, then the English again. The Whitsun verse by Rudolf Steiner. Where knowledge through the senses ends, there stands the gateway, which alone opens living reality to our soul's being. The soul creates the key when it grows strong within itself in the struggle which the forces of the world on their own ground wage with human powers. When by its own strength it drives away the sleep which cloaks the powers of knowledge at the limit of the senses, 
in spiritual night. Wo sinnes Wissen endet, da stehet erst die Pforte, die Lebenswirklichkeiten dem Seelensein eröffnet. Den Schlüssel schafft die Seele, wenn sie in Sieg erstarket, im Kampf den Weltenmächte auf ihrem eigenen Grunde mit Menschenkräfte führen. Wenn sie durch Sieg vertreibt den Schlaf, der Wissenskräfte an ihren Sinnesgrenzen mit Geistesnacht umhüllet. Where knowledge through the senses ends, there stands the gateway, which alone opens living reality to our soul's being. The soul creates the key when it grows strong within itself in the struggle which the forces of the world on their own ground wage with human powers. When by its own strength it drives away the sleep which cloaks the powers of knowledge at the limit of the senses in spiritual night. And that is the end as well of the Ascension and Pentecost section of the book. We'll begin Lecture 23 with the last Michaelmas section.